Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today as we come to one of the most interesting portions of Hebrews to me. It's verses 11, 12, and 13 of chapter 4. Now, as you know, we are walking our way through the entire book of Hebrews, verse by verse. And in today, we're going to come to the all-familiar scripture that the Bible is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul, spirit, joints, marrow, thoughts, and intentions of the heart. Oh, friends, there is a world to unpack in these scriptures. And we are going to take our time today and we're just going to walk through the Bible together. And I think you're going to walk away with a much greater understanding of not only the power that scripture has in our lives, but even down to our soul, our spirit, our physical bodies, our bones, our flesh, our blood. Yes, my friends, the Word of God has a tremendous impact, a tremendous effect on every part of us. And I'm so glad to share it with you today. Go with me now, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13 on this edition of Awakened to Grace. If you remember last week, we talked about verse 10, what it means to enter God's rest. We called the week before, this is our third week in chapter 4, we called the beginning of chapter 4, stop trying to earn God's approval. You cannot earn God's approval. You cannot pay God back for the mistakes that you've made in your life. Some of you right now today, you are still trying to pay God back for things that happened years ago. You have to stop that. You have to stop trying to earn from God. You do not earn from God, you receive from God. What a difference that is. And there's some of you that when you really get this deep down in your heart, that what you must do is you cannot earn grace, you receive it. You cannot earn mercy, you receive it. You cannot earn favor from the Lord, you receive it. You cannot earn blessings from God, you receive them, amen. And when you understand that, it's going to change the way that you live. So we began chapter four by saying, stop trying to earn God's approval. You're not a slave. What did we sing this morning? You're a son. You're a daughter. Can we say amen to that? I about came out of my skin when Kayla sang that. We're no longer slaves. We're not, listen, we're sons. We're daughters of God. Amen. There's nothing to earn. There's simply to receive. Not long ago, our dishwasher went out at our house, and we had to get a new one. And the, the group came to install it, and they came in. And, you know, I had to make sure I was home at a certain time. And, you know, they, uh, they came in. They did their job. They installed the new appliance. But do you know what he didn't do? 
He didn't open my fridge and help himself. (laughs) He didn't turn my television on and just go through the channels. No. You know why? Because it ain't his house. He was there to do what? He was there to do a job, and that was it. But you come over to my house, and my kids get home, oh, heaven help us. My kids don't come up to me and say, Dad, do you mind if I go to the refrigerator? They don't do that. They raid it. I'll go try to find something, and I'll say, Sadie, where'd this go? Oh, the kids ate it. I go to sit down, and all of a sudden, TV comes on. They're watching. They they act like they own the place. (laughs) And they do own the place. You know why? Because they're my children. They are my beneficiaries. And what's mine belongs to them. Do you live like a servant? Do you live like you're always earning from God, like you're never measuring up, like you're never good enough, like you're never going to be what in your head you think you ought to be? Or do you live like a son and daughter? And what is God's is yours. Amen? That's how I want to live. So Hebrews meticulously, it says, it takes us, the beginning of verse four, we're not earning God's approval. What we're doing is we're trying to enter into God's rest. And last week we called that entering God's rest. And we saw last week how there was a Sabbath rest all the way back from creation. Since the creation of the world, God has offered rest to humanity. His rest, an invitation to come into his rest. And then we saw where Joshua was not sufficient. Joshua did what Moses couldn't do, and he led them into Canaan rest. But that was not good enough. No, generations later, David came, and David said in Psalm 95, there remains yet another rest. And what is that rest? Well, that rest is that Jesus is far superior to Moses. Moses was a servant, chapter 3. Jesus is the son, the builder of the house. Jesus is far superior than Joshua, whereas Joshua led them into a physical rest. Jesus leads us into a soul rest, into a spiritual rest, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. So we talked about, we ended last week in verse 10. So then those who believe, that means that you've battled unbelief. That means that you're not falling into disobedience. That means you're not falling away from the living God, chapter 3. Remember what we said, chapter 3, verse 12, all the way to chapter 4, verse 12, is one unit of Scripture. They are direct quotes out of Psalm 95. And we saw that the invitation still stands for us to enter into God's rest. We explained the Sabbath rest. We explained the Canaan rest. And then we explained salvation rest. Now, 
We talked last week how God rested from his works of creation. Now Christ has rested from his work of redemption. And where does that leave us now? Those who believe, verse number 10, those who believe, that is stark contrast to the children of Israel. That is stark contrast to everything we've learned about the Red Sea generation. They did not believe. They were filled with unbelief. In chapter 3, verse 19, so then they could not enter into the rest. Why? Because of unbelief. But no, no. Those of us who do believe, verse 10, we enter God's rest. Now, We come today to verse 11, and it makes me scratch my head. If verse 10 says that because I believe, and what does Hebrews 11 say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So belief is the opposite of unbelief. And if I believe, I have entered God's rest. And now look what the author says. Let us, therefore, verse 11, therefore connects the verses. Let us, therefore, strive. Some translations say labor. Some translations say do our best. Make our best efforts. Let us strive to enter that rest. Huh. Well, then which is it? Those who believe enter God's rest. Therefore, let us strive to enter. Is that in contradiction? Is it in contradiction that Scripture says that by grace have you been saved through faith That not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. And yet the scriptures also say that faith without works is dead. Is that that butting heads? Scripture says it is not of yourselves lest any man should boast. But yet faith that doesn't work is dead. So am I to just believe or am I to strive? Does this mean I'm to work for salvation? Does this mean I'm to try to earn it? No. You ready to dig in today? Let us. Now, just note that right there. Again, note the pronoun. Let us. The author, and I've given you quite a bit of evidence to show my conviction, my persuasion, I should say, is that Hebrews is written by Paul. I would not argue to the death of it. But my persuasion is that Paul penned the book. You're free to disagree. Nobody knows. We won't know till we get to heaven. I believe there are various evidences that Paul authored the book, and that's my persuasion. But whoever the author is, he's not pointing a religious finger and saying, you, you better do this. You better think this way. You better, no, 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 no. Notice all the pronouns, at least 24 times, the author is going to say we or us. He includes himself in this group, which again is massive evidence. These people are genuinely born again. 
And he says, those who believe have entered God's rest. Let us, he includes himself, therefore strive to enter that rest. Go with me right now to 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> Another good word for the word strive your Bible may say labor, but this is another good translation of the word. The word means diligence. Do you remember the first warning that we came to in chapter two? Do you remember what the warning was to this audience written to these Jewish believers, these Hebrews? The warning was do not drift. The whole point that I have been arguing these many weeks through chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that you and I cannot afford to coast in our faith. Amen. You cannot be casual about this. If you coast, you're going to drift. That is the biblical truth of the matter. You must be diligent. So if you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Diligence which is the word for strive here. Diligence is the opposite of drifting. And how are we to be diligent? 2 Peter 1 is going to teach us. Verse number 5 says that we should make every effort to supplement our faith. Some translations would say to add to our faith. Now, what do you suppose that means? Does that mean you can add to your salvation? I like the word supplement there. I like that a lot because supplement means to reinforce. If you're someone that you already take supplements or you take vitamins, what, what do you do? You, you're reinforcing the health that's already there. You're just strengthening it. You're reinforcing it. So when it says to add to your faith, that doesn't mean that some people are saved and some people are lost. And if you would just add a little bit more religion, if you would just add a little bit more church, if you would add, you know, then you would get over the top. It's not at all what it's saying. It's saying to reinforce your faith. <coughs> it's saying strengthen your faith with these things, with virtue and knowledge and gives a whole list Self-control, oh, how many of us need that? Don't raise your hands. I can't see you anyway. It's okay. But how many of us need self-control for real? Oh, add it to your faith. Supplement to your faith. Brotherly affections, knowledge. It goes on with a long list right here of what you should be adding to your faith. The idea here is diligence. The idea here is striving. The absolute opposite is to say, yeah, I got a ticket to heaven. Now I'm going to kick my feet up and I'm going to coast through my life. That is not God's will for you. The idea is diligence. Are you diligent regarding your faith? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because here's what is at stake. He begins in verse number five, 
And he's going to take us all the way down to verse number nine. And watch what Peter says. If you add these things to your faith, if you're diligent, if you supplement your faith with these things, if you reinforce your faith, here's what it's going to do. It's going to cause you to not be ineffective nor unfruitful. (gasps) Look at that. If I supplement my faith, if I'm diligent in it, I'm not going to be an unfruitful Christian. I'm not going to be ineffective for God's work. What a great remedy this is to drifting, to coasting. Now look at verse 10. Now here's where it really comes together. So here's what we are to do. We are to be Diligent to make our calling and election sure, the scripture says. In other words, be diligent to know that you're truly born again. And once you know that you're born again, it's not a ticket to heaven that's been punched and you just wait. No, you serve. No, you grow. No, you take up your cross daily and you follow Jesus. You are diligent in your faith. Now, is this in direct contrast to working for your faith? The biblical answer is no. If you're someone that you've always wondered, how do you reconcile that we're not to work for salvation, but yet faith without works is dead? How do you reconcile that? Let me help you with this. You must understand good works, which the Bible has so many good things to say about. Let your good works glorify God. Be zealous over good works. Be rich in good works. Be abundant in good works. It's over and over throughout the scriptures. We are created in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world for good works. Ephesians 2, 10, I think. Fact check me. It's in chapter 2. Good works are all over the scriptures. But is it the foundation of salvation? No. Everyone have their thinking caps on? That was not good. Did you guys, did you eat breakfast? Have you had coffee? Huh? You with me right now? Okay, all right. You know I can't see you. I can't see you nodding your head. I appreciate it, but I can't see it. Now put your thinking caps with me on this. Okay, let's let's go down this this little trail right here because this is worth knowing. If you're taking notes, this would be great for you to note. Good works is not the root of salvation. It is the fruit. Your salvation is rooted in grace. You can't earn it, and you most certainly don't deserve it. If you will understand that grace and faith are the roots of your salvation, then you'll have no trouble understanding good works becomes the fruit. 
Therefore, James is not in conflict with Paul in Ephesians. Because James is not talking about the basis. He's not talking about the foundation. He's not talking about the root of salvation. He's simply expressing the fruit. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If there are no godly good works in your life, then you're doing this thing all wrong. You are unfruitful and you are ineffective in God's kingdom. So what ought you to do? You ought to get healthy. You ought to take the salvation. You ought to take the measure of faith that God has given to each of us. You take that measure of faith and then you add to it. You supplement to it. You reinforce it with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. And as you do that, you know what happens? Then all of a sudden, assurance from God's word, assurance from God's spirit, assurance from heaven begins to come into your soul that, oh yeah, I'm not as just a servant. Oh yeah, I'm not a slave. No, no, no. I'm a son and a daughter of God. Amen. And that's how you make your calling. What calling? Chapter three, verse one, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Chapter 3, those who partake in Christ. And what does 2 Peter, oh, right now we're in 1.5, but what does 2 Peter 1.4 say that we touched on in chapter 3? By his great and precious promises, we have become partakers of his divine nature. So because you are in Christ, because you share in Christ, because you are born again, because you have God's divine nature about you, now you have the ability to supplement to your faith, reinforce your faith, add to your faith these wonderful qualities, these wonderful characteristics that are yours in Christ Jesus. And what is the result? You'll not be ineffective and you'll not be unfruitful. And then what happens? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. That's great. <laughs> Verse 10, as you make your calling and election sure, you will not fall from your own steadfastness. Strive to enter that rest. Is that saying that you and I work for salvation? Absolutely not. So again, get this down in your spirit. I do not work for salvation. I work because of my salvation. It's not the root, but it is the fruit. And your life and my life ought to be overflowing with an abundance of spiritual fruit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. All right. Now we strive to enter that rest. What rest? That you can't earn your way to God. That you will never be good enough. That your righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what happens with people who try to earn their salvation? If all of us took a field trip this morning, and let's say we went to Duck Island 
at Warrior's Path. Any of you ever go walking on Duck Island? I love to baptize at Duck Island. That's a great place to baptize. But if we stood on Duck Island as a congregation and we said, now, who can jump from Duck Island over to the parking lot? Or any of the other shorelines? Who, who could make that jump? Who among us would be able to? It would not matter how healthy someone was. Wouldn't matter how young or vibrant they were. Would not matter how athletic someone perhaps may be. The greatest gym rat among us, and you know who you are, <laughs> would not have the ability to make that jump, would they? And do you know that's exactly what the Holy Spirit means when he says, for all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. And that's why you cannot earn. You would never be able to earn it. Not even with the greatest life you could ever live, it wouldn't be good enough. That's why eternal life, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's not earned, it's received. So he says, I believe what he's saying is the rest that we're coming into that all you who are heavy laden, all you who are burdened, come to Jesus. He will give you rest. He will give you rest for your soul. This salvation rest that is far superior than, a, superior than Joshua and the Canaan rest, this salvation rest that's superior to even the creation and the Sabbath rest, we are entering into. And how have we entered into it? Because we believed the gospel. Those who believe has entered that rest. Now, because, see the order there? Because we have believed, because we have received, because the gift is now ours, now go to work and serve the Lord and strive and labor and be diligent over such a precious faith as yours. Lest, he goes on to say, we fall because of disobedience. Now, what did we say? We said weeks ago, unbelief comes out of the heart. Disobedience is the next progression. And disobedience comes out of the will. I want you to write this down. Diligence will guard you Diligence will keep you from disobedience. Now, that's a good word. I don't tweet, but somebody should tweet that if people still do that. I don't know. I don't keep up with it. Diligence about your faith, exactly what we're talking about, 2 Peter 1, 5 to 10. Diligence in your faith will keep you from disobedience. But if you choose to drift, if you choose to coast, disobedience is the next step. 
It's the next progression. Now, we've carefully, we have painstakingly handled each verse from chapter 3, verse 12, to chapter 4, verse 12. Now we come to what would really be the conclusion of this section. And watch what he says in verse 12. What he's doing, I believe, is the Holy Spirit is leading people to a decision point. Are they going to follow unbelief or are they going to follow God? Are they going to walk in disobedience as the children of Israel did in Numbers chapter 14? They came to Kadesh Barnea. And you remember the story. Moses sent out 12 spies. How many came back filled with faith? Two. Only Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 did not believe God. Therefore, the entire nation did not believe God. And you think about it, the generation that saw the greatest physical acts of God that should have drawn Israel to God did not do it. That is, uh, in uh, how do you even wrap your head around it? How do you walk through the Red Sea and God destroy and obliterate your enemies? And then you go, oh, no, God can't do that. No, he can't do the next thing. Wow. The unbelief is staggering. It is offensive to God Almighty. It provoked God. Have you ever wondered if your unbelief is offensive to God? Have you ever wondered if even the way we casually say some things, and and, and let me tell you, I I have to watch. I have to guard. Sometimes I'll pray and we'll see God move just like that. And boy, just, oh, God answered that prayer. And then other times you pray and it just couldn't go any worse. Oh, y'all never have that happen? Oh, oh, that must be good. Oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. You've never prayed and things got worse? Huh, that's amazing. I have. And what's the first tendency when things go south after you prayed? Well, I might as well not even do that anymore. That ain't working. That's, that's not being useful. Huh. Unbelief. Do we ever consider how offensive that is to God? No, let's strive. Let's strive. Even when God disappoints us. Even when God doesn't answer on time. Even when it looks like God is doing opposite of what we're asking. Let's strive and say, no, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, I'm going to believe God's word and that's where I'm standing. And I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to back down from it. Brothers, sisters, that's striving in your faith. It's not trying to be better. You can't be better. It's not trying to be more religious. Religious people repelled Jesus. So what is striving? Striving is taking up your cross and saying, God, I believe you no matter what. I believe your word no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what I experience, no matter what I 
what seems like failure or what seems like waiting or what seems like on hold or no matter what, I stand on the word of God. That's striving. And that's where God wants his people. I'm going to obey you no matter what. (laughs) I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to allow disobedience in my life. No, I'm going to obey God in everything. So note with me what it says. So now he's going to kind of change gears here. He's led us through Israel. He's led us through the Red Sea generation. We've seen their disobedience. We've seen their unbelief. And now it's decision time. Now the rubber is going to meet the road. Now it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, I've, pre- I, I've, I've presented you evidence. I've argued my case. You've seen, you've seen it out of all the Old Testament. I've taken you through all of the... Things throughout the Old Testament through Judaism now make a decision. Because here's the fact, and look at it with me, verse 12. For the word of God. Oh, now he's going to get serious. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of souls. Spirit, joints, marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of what? Where does unbelief come from? The heart. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, I want to say it as clearly. I want to say it as directly as I possibly can. We preach nothing at this church but the Word of God. We don't preach historical books. We don't preach historical figures. We don't preach good stories. No, we preach the Scriptures. Amen? Do you know why? Because they are living and active. Before I went blind, I had quite a library. At one time, I owned a Christian bookstore. I've always surrounded myself with books. I got my first set of Bible commentaries when I was 12 years old called the B Series by Warren W. Wearsby. Amen. Cut my spiritual teeth on Warren W. Wearsby B Series. But in all the books I own, in all the books you own, in all the books published and printed and distributed, there isn't but one that can boast that it is alive. There isn't but one that has the power to be both living and active. And that is the word of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. And see, by its very boast that it is living and active, see, that takes away our little excuses, our excuses of, well, I'm just not really a reader. Well, then listen to it. I can't read either anymore. So I listen to it. You know, when my eyesight diminished and my eyesight went away, my Bible reading didn't go down. It went up exponentially. Because I listen to the word. There is no excuse. Not when it's living 
and it's active. So he says, the word of God is living. What does the scripture say? You know, my favorite thing to think about, there isn't anything that I enjoy more than a cup of coffee in the morning with a good summer rain. And have we not had an abundance of that? I love the rain. And I'll sip my hallelujah coffee. My blonde roast. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I'll sip my coffee. And I'll listen to that rain. And I'll remember Isaiah. The word of God is just like the rain. The Lord sends it forth. It falls to the earth and it accomplishes his purposes and it will not return void. Every moment you spend with the word of God is not wasted. Every scripture you hide in your heart is not a waste. Every time that you sit down to meet God in his word, it is precious and it will not return void in your life. Every time you pray the scriptures over your marriage, every time you pray the scriptures over your family, every time you pray the scriptures over your health, every time you pray the scriptures over your employment, every time you pray the scriptures over your money, every time you pray the scriptures over your future, let me tell you something, the word of God will not return void. Amen. Amen. What a deposit. What a thing to do. What a glorious thing to meet God every day in his word and receive it like the earth receives the rain. But for many of us, we don't even know where our Bibles are. For many of us, we know more. We know more sports statistics than we do the living and active word. We know more celebrity gossip than we know the active and living word. We know more about politics than we do God Almighty. It's living. And it's active. What's the word active mean? Active is actually where we get our word. My cable's falling, excuse me. Active is where we get our word energy. There's an energy to the word of God. I want you to think about that. There's an energy to it. That's why you ought to start your day every day with it. You're starting your day tapping into God's supernatural energy. Now, that's something, that's something to get quite excited about. It's living and it's energetic. It's energy. It's active. Now, notice what he says next. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, over and over and over in the scriptures, the word of God is compared to a two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, we see that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We see in Revelation 2.12, Christ with the double-edged sword. We see in Revelation 19.15 that when Christ comes on the battle of Armageddon, what proceeds out of his mouth? 
double-edged sword. Now, is that a physical sword? No. What is it? It's the word. It's the word. It's the living and the active word of God. It is a double-edged sword. When Joshua met the Lord Jesus Christ in Joshua chapter 5, what was he holding in his hand? Sword. All throughout the scriptures, it is compared to a sword. It is sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing. I love that word. I'm calling today pierced by the word. It's the title. Piercing to the division of soul, spirit, joints, marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why? We're not there yet, but I'm going to end in verse 13, but I'm not going to end there yet. I want to give some commentary to this. But what's the point? The point is because everything is laid bare before Christ. You can hide nothing. Everything is laid bare. So let me give some commentary before we go there and close. Let's understand a little bit of this. Soul, spirit, joints, marrow, thoughts, and intentions. Now remember what the problem is with the Hebrews. The issue with Judaism is that everything was external. Everything was about rituals. Everything was about ceremony. Everything was about what you do. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about believing. The gospel is about a stony heart being replaced. The gospel is about God transforming the heart. And so what does the Holy Spirit masterfully do? The Holy Spirit masterfully is showing this Hebrew audience. It is the contrast, not what is on the exterior. Some of you look like Christians today, whatever that means. But inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus said it this way. The outside of the cup is washed really well. You're squeaky clean. But the inside's not been washed and it's filthy. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks upon the what? The heart. So the Holy Spirit's going to get down to the heart. And how does he do it? With his word. It is able to pierce to the division Number one, of soul, spirit. Now, what's that mean? This is very complicated to understand. There are many different interpretations, and I encourage you to do your own homework on this. I encourage you to dig deeper into this to really understand where you land on this. I'll tell you my thoughts, but you are free to disagree with me. You don't have to see my interpretation of it. I believe that when God said, let us, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. God made man as a trinity as he made as, as God himself is trinity. So yes, we have our flesh and blood, which is spoken of much in Hebrews. That is our body. And yes, we have our soul, which we identify as our Mind, our will, and our emotions. 
That's why when you read passages about eternity, whether that is in heaven or that is in hell, the soul is fully alive. The conscience is fully there, able to remember, able to recall. Emotions, will, mind. So that is the soul, but then there is the spirit. Now, what is the spirit? The spirit, I believe, is what happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and God said, you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. What died? The spirit. That inward man, that, that inward part that is supposed to commune and fellowship, that inward part that's supposed to worship and be alive and sensitive to God Almighty, who is a what? Spirit. It is the highest seat of man, his spirit. But we don't talk about the spirit much. And I believe it is the spirit that when you become born again, that is what is regenerated. The spirit is what is dead in its sins and trespasses and guilt of sin. But when the spirit of God comes in and salvation comes, regeneration comes, then all of a sudden your spirit is made alive to Christ. You become a new creation. Hmm. And see, I'm concerned that what happens in so many people they have an experience with God where their intellect or worse, their emotions somehow are moved about God or religious things. But the spirit man has never been awakened. The spirit man has never been regenerated. The spirit man has never been transformed out of darkness into light. If you ever become awakened to God, if you ever become born again, it's your spirit that then becomes alive to Christ. Huh. The soul, the spirit, it's able to divide it. It's able to, it's able to perceive it. It's able to pierce it. Number two, joints and marrow. This is speaking of external and internal. I love that it gives physical here. You know what God's been dealing with me about? You know, I, I struggle so hard in my health to eat right, to, to do well in that area. I'll feel very poorly and then I'll get disciplined and I'll eat really good. And then the most terrible thing happens the better I eat and the better I feel, something creeps in to this little sheep brain that says, you're invincible. That donut won't hurt you. And my little sheep brain goes, I felt so good lately. I bet it won't. God always deals with me about this. 
And you know where God's had me parked lately? I've been declaring over my body. Now, I have to do my part, right? I can't. The problem is not God. The problem's me. God's been dealing with me about it. And where I've been standing in my faith is 3 John 3, 1. Uh, I'm Third John 1, 1, sorry. John writes to Gaius and he says, I am praying that above all, that you would be in good health just as your soul is in good health. Now say amen if you need good health today because this will be a good word for you. What God is showing me, somebody give me a time check. What time is it? What time? Oh, can I have a few more minutes? Ooh, ooh, 11.54. I'm always hungry, but no reason I'm hungry. Good Lord. Well, let me tell you where the Lord's having my faith right now. The Lord is showing me, Chad, you make a mistake so often because you compartmentalize your soul, and your body. And what happens is you treat your body really, really bad. But your soul, you protect, and you nurture, and you feed, and you care for. And your soul is so healthy, and it's so prosperous, but your body is not. The Lord said, stop separating them and intertwine them. I care about that as much as I care about the other. And so the scripture that God has me in is as I'm trying to discipline myself and I'm trying to do better. The other day, I had to go to an attorney's office who is helping the church with some things. And Joe and I decided to stop and get them two dozen donuts. And the little girl said, would you like them hot off the belt? No, I'll take the stale ones because that's a big temptation. Yes, okay, hot off the belt. And we're driving to Jim Williams. Joe's driving, don't worry, it wasn't me. So because Joe is driving, guess who's holding two dozen hot, fresh donuts? Be in good health as your soul is in good health. Two dozen. (laughs) It made it there. It did. (laughs) Now I gave them to Joe. What happened to him after I handed them off? I don't know. But the car ride, they made it. I don't know. And so God has been telling me, They're intertwined, so you intertwine them. Bless your body like you bless your soul. Care for your body like you care for your soul. Feed your body like you feed your soul. Why? Because the Word of God is able to pierce soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Do you ever speak God's word over your body? 
Oh, you ought to do it every day. See, I can have, I can have high-powered medications, but if I don't ingest them, what good does a medication do in my cabinet if I don't open it and partake of it? A lot of you have the Word of God around you. It's in your home, but you're not ingesting it. You're not partaking of it. You're not in communion with it. Make the word of God an integral part of every day for you. And then lastly, it is a discerner of thoughts and attentions of the heart. This is where we get our English word critic. You know what's interesting is centuries ago, people would hear preaching And they would receive that, but not in today's culture. In today's culture, we question everything. And I realize that as I preach God's word, the majority of people are not saying that's truth and I agree with that. The majority of people are saying, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe the Bible is really what it says. And you know what I find Interesting. The same people who are critics of the Bible, the same wicked people who try to twist. You say, Chad, oh, why would you call them wicked? Because do you know what the word wicked means? Twisted. That's why we call wicker furniture wicker, because it means twisted. People who twist the word of God are wicked. Because they twist the truth. And all the while, while they are critiquing the word of God, do you know what? God's word is critiquing them. All the while, while they judge the word of God and they go, I don't believe that. That's not what I feel. All the while. The word of God is judging them. It is a discerner. It is a critic. It is a judge of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's why the more you get into the word, the more that your thoughts and your intentions of the heart will be pleasing to the Lord, because it is shaping. It is show you how you ought to think. It is show you how you ought to feel. Sadie and I right now, and this is where I close. Sadie and I right now are having some very hard discussions. And we're trying to perceive God's will in a matter. We ate breakfast this morning. Not donuts, by the way. (laughs) And we made a commitment together that we are going to systematically, individually, but also together, but individually, we're going to go through Psalm 
139. We're going to say as a couple, as one flesh, as a covenant, as a union, as a marriage, as a family, we're going to say, search me and try me and know my ways. See if there is any wickedness in me. Hey, Lord, if there's a bad attitude in me, shine that light. If there's stubbornness in me, shine that light. If there's pride in me, shine that light. Rebuke me, God. Show me. And we have committed that we are going to let God's word shape the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Does does God's word have an effect in your life? If not, odds are today you're ineffective and you're unfruitful for Jesus. That can change as God's word changes in you and changes you. Begin to consume the word. Get up every day with the word. Make it part of your rhythm. Make it part of your routine. Why? Because it's living. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce. And it's able to judge, discern, critique your heart. You want to be a better husband? Let God's word critique you. You want to be a better wife today? Let God's word critique you. You want to overcome the addiction? Let God's word critique you. You want to to pull yourself out of constant negativity? Let God's word critique your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You want to quit gossiping, backbiting, and let God's word critique you. You want to be less selfish? Let God's word critique you. You want to stop lying? Let God's word critique you. Welcome it in. When James says receive the word, the literal Greek word picture there is place out a welcome mat. Oh God, your word's welcome. Welcome in my life. Take Awakened to Grace with you on the go. When you download Awakened to Grace on your device, you will have access to hundreds of resources we create all for free. Sermons, music, articles, and more. Download Awakened to Grace wherever you get your favorite apps.